Good morning, good morning. Please be seated. It's good to see you all, y'all, this morning. Good morning, North Village Church family. My name is James Gordon. As Dan mentioned, our lead pastor, Michael, coming in hot. Uh, he, is, he is away this weekend with his beautiful bride, Holly, and they are celebrating 24 years of marriage, so we can give them a little bit of love. I, I am very honored <clears throat> to get to be able to teach uh, our passage in Scripture today, and uh, it's, it's a blessing to get to be here with you. When, when I'm not here at church with our church family, I work for an organization called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I do ministry with them. And before I even started attending uh, this church at, at North Village Church, I was a much different person than, than who I am today. I know that we can often make assumptions about someone standing up on a stage and think that they have it all together. Um, the things that we're going to be talking about today and the things that we're going to be reading about, um, we're all just growing and learning in this process together, and I represent that as much as anybody else in this room. I hope it's an encouragement for you all that have known me for a while to see me up here because uh, when I first started coming to North Village Church, I, I, I owned a Bible, but I never opened it. And I knew how to pray, but I didn't engage in it. And the only reason why I actually even came to this church in the first place is because my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, called me out for being someone who talked about Jesus and going to church, but never actually reflected who Jesus is or came into a church service. And through this church body, who I'm so grateful for, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, my life has been transformed over the last few years to where Michael feels comfortable enough to let me kind of hold down the fort in his absence. Let's see how that goes. <laughs> if, if you're new to North Village Church, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And you should be encouraged, too, because Michael will be teaching next week, and it's going to be a lot better. So you'll have to come back for that one. If you've been walking along with us for the past few months, you'll know that we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I hope you've been encouraged to, to learn about the timeless truths that Paul shared with the early church of Corinth that still resonate with our church today. It's easy for us to overlook profound truths because we don't allow ourselves to be still long enough to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. And if we are to be a people after God's heart, then we need to be living Psalm 1. Our delight should be in God's word, and we should be meditating, meditating on it day and night. Then we can be like trees who are planted by living streams of water, and will yield fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither. And that's what we're going to be talking about in today's passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, is yielding fruit. I've been meditating on this passage for a while, and I'm excited to walk through it with you all. But please don't take me at my word. We want God's word to be the focus of the message today. Yes, it'll be on the screen, but it's important that you hold God's word in your hand. And so if you need to grab one in the back, or you can pull one up on your phone without being distracted by that. Or if you have one of our yearly devotionals, we're on page 164. I'm going to welcome up a friend of mine, Levi Sneed. 
If you'll come up and, and read our passage today, we're going to read it all the way through one time, and then we'll, we'll break it up into sections. But with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I'm used to working with student athletes, and so I invited my friend and fellow soccer player, Levi, to come up here today. All things are permitted, but not all things are benefit. All things are permitted, but not all things build people up. No one is to seek his own advantage, but rather that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for the sake of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the, unbeliever, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for the sake of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of that one who informed you that for the sake of conscience. Now, by conscience, I do not mean your own, but, but the other person's. That is why my freedom judged by the, another's conscience. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered about that for which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. Do not offend Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also please everyone in all things, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of of the many, so that they may be saved. Thank you, Levi. On Easter Sunday, Levi and his sister and his mom all got baptized here, so it's fun to get to do life with the Sneed family. Uh, we'll dig into the passage, but first, let's, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church family. Thank you for your word that is a living stream of life to us, Lord. Lord, I pray that it not be my words, but it be your words. I pray that the seeds that are scattered today, Lord, would find fertile soil and bear much fruit. Lord, we surrender this time to you, and we love you. Amen. So coming back to verses 23 and 24, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And it says, All things are permitted, but not all things are of benefit. All things are permitted, but not all things build people up. No one is to seek his own advantage, but rather that of his neighbor. We could spend all morning right here. We have many freedoms, but one freedom can limit another. Said another way, the freedoms that we indulged in yesterday may inhibit our ability to be fully present today. Some of us, and I've been one of those people sitting in that chair, who took too many freedoms in a conversation with somebody and pushed my opinion a little bit too hard. And I'm sitting there, instead of being focused on what the Lord has for me on a Sunday morning, I'm thinking more about what I should have said instead of what I did say. Some of us might be so caught up in a schedule and a frenzy and a lifestyle that's too much for the pace of what we're meant to contain. And it makes us anxious and we're sitting there thinking about what we need to do later today and the days to come. We have these freedoms, but if we're to walk in them well, then we need to know what the true purpose of them is. We are free in Jesus Christ to hold various opinions on sports, politics, parenting, and all other topics. 
But when those conversations with others are not spoken with love and gentleness, are they really for our neighbor's advantage? We can buy all the houses, clothes, toys, vacations that we want. But when we're doing these things in such a way that promote a lifestyle that is all about promoting ourselves, is it really to our neighbor's benefit? We can chase all the hobbies, extracurricular activities, and social gatherings that we want. But when our schedule is overwhelming us, how are we supposed to be able to serve one another? The best way I've heard this described is selfishness is not freedom. And we cannot experience the fullness of freedom unless it's measured by its true purpose. And when we are selfish with the way that we talk, with the way that we schedule our time, with the way that we use the gifts and talents and treasures that the Lord has given us, well, then we're missing out on the blessing that the Lord intended us for, for us to have those things for. Because that blessing comes when we share those with his people. This is an abuse of freedom that prevents the fruit that we're talking about today. Now, when we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Roberto Montezuma walked us through how Paul was encouraging the church of Corinth to, give, to limit their freedoms if they were causing their brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble. And when we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Pastor Michael talked to us about how we do all things for God's glory. And today as we close out chapter 10, <clears throat> excuse me, we're bringing those two concepts together. Where we are talking about limiting the freedoms that we have in Christ so that God may be glorified in our interactions with others. Let's keep reading. We're in verses 25 through 27. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions, for the sake of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions, for the sake of conscience. Now, Christ has already fulfilled the law. And so, the food and drink laws that are in the Old Testament are no longer bound to us. We can eat and drink as we please. I think most of us feel comfortable in that space. I highlighted the phrases in here. It's in yellow, so bear with me. And you want to go. Just for those of us that get anxious about these invitations that we might have to reflect God's grace and peace in our lives with others, our God is a gracious God. And he says, if you've been invited and you want to go, you can go. But if you've surrendered your schedule to the Lord already and an opportunity comes up, you do not need to feel any shame or guilt. You don't have to go. The Lord is working through all things, and we can trust him in that. I also highlighted the phrase on here, without asking questions, which can also, in the original translation, be said, without judgment and without investigation. Church family, we are free to sit in front of anybody and break bread with them without judging them for their personal history, for their lifestyle, 
for their beliefs, for what others have claimed that they have done or said. We have freedom in that. And we have freedom not to investigate the food that is put before us. Now, some of you may have given up alcohol. Some of you may have given up meat. Some of you might not be eating processed foods. And it's okay if you've investigated these things and you're doing it for your own conscience. But the Lord is telling us not to judge others who do not feel these same convictions because that is not his first priority in these things. As we continue reading, we'll see what that priority is. But first we need to wrestle with the section of the text that I think requires the most meditation for us. It's important that we struggle with this difficult section of the passage if it's truly to yield the fruit that the Lord wants for us. So let's jump to, pay, to verses 28 through 30. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informs you and for the sake of conscience. Now by conscience, I do not mean your own, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered about that for which I give thanks? Let's be honest. If we're reading a passage like this, we're going to often be tempted to go in one of two directions. We might say to ourselves, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. There's a lot of good stuff in this book. I'm going to keep going to the next sections until I find something that resonates. Or we might be in our microwave lifestyle, the type of person that just wants to make a snap judgment on something and move on and say, oh, I got that truth and let's go. And if we were to take this passage at face value, then we're going to have words like sacrifice to idols stand out. And we'll think to ourselves, you know, I've never purchased that meat at HEB. I think I'm doing a good job with that. And we can just move on and pat ourselves on the back. But if we're to be a people, church family, who really believe 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching and for building up one another, then it's important that we not just skim through these verses that challenge us, but that we meditate on them. And we can do that by asking ourselves some reflective questions. One question we can ask is, why would somebody in the early church be having this conversation with an unbeliever? Now, in 2023, Christianity is recognized as a world religion, and we're very comfortable in that space. But when Paul is writing this letter to the church of Corinth, it is anything but well-recognized around the world. And in fact, most people that have heard of Christianity at this point see it as a spinoff of Judaism. And so from that, you can see why an unbeliever would be talking about Jewish law to a believing Christian. Now, what does that look like for us today? What assumptions do others make about us? Christianity is not as tightly as aligned with Judaism as it was in the first century, but there are other social and political beliefs in our culture today that easily get intertwined with God's gospel. When I meet somebody for the first time and they find out that I work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I've had people assume that I eat meat. I've had people assume 
that I think that COVID or global warming is a hoax. I've had people assume that I'm a Republican. I've had people assume that there are certain types of people that I distance myself from, that there are certain type of people that I feel uncomfortable around. I've had people assume what type of music I listen to. If we're going to let the Lord use us for his glory and bear much fruit, then we have to understand the assumptions that others are making about us, and we have to be aware of our own biases about the person that we're sitting across from. And we need to understand that God's plan for salvation through Jesus Christ has always been about tearing away assumptions and stereotypes. Let's look at Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Single man, homeless, died a criminal's death. He could have come in any era, but he did not come at a time where a car, social media, or a cell phone could further his influence or communication skills. He died for us willingly. Let's think about the assumptions that we want to make about the gospel and that so many people wrestle with. Can it really be so simple that we just acknowledge our sins before the Lord and confess Jesus? Certainly, if the Lord is to adopt us as his children and we're going to spend eternity in heaven, then that's where we're going to require some great works for the rest of our lives. No. No. The Lord is about stripping away all of those stereotypes so that the gospel can be easily accessible to all. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. It's always been that simple, and it's always been that accessible for all. Now, when we're reading about meat sacrificed to idols, we might be tempted to assume that this is not part of our culture today. But we're not talking about carved images all the time. In 2023, we're more likely to make idols of ourselves. And when others don't live up to the standards that we think that we are on, because we've put ourselves on these pedestals, well, then what do we do? We distance ourselves from those people in an act of self-righteousness. What does this look like? Perhaps you've been asked questions about how could you root for that team? Don't you know what their owner does? How could you buy products from that company? Didn't you see what they tweeted? If I'm in an opportunity like we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I have the ability to eat dinner with an unbeliever, it has been said to me before, oh, I can't go to that restaurant. Don't you know the awful things that that chef did? Now, I am free in Christ to cheer, purchase, and eat wherever it is that the Lord has put in front of me and be grateful for those things. But Paul is telling us, and the Lord is speaking to us in these circumstances, that we are to lay down those freedoms for others if it's going to become a barrier for us to have gospel-centered conversations. Because we don't want them to feel like they're doing something wrong or them to be confused about who or what we associate with. We want those lines of communication to be free of those burdens. Let's read and close up this passage 
We're in verses 31 through 33. And we'll see how Paul is bringing the great commission out in everyday life. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. Do not offend Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also please everyone in all things, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. I reference the Great Commission, and for those of you who aren't familiar, Jesus' last words to his disciples after he died on a cross, resurrected from the grave, was witnessed by over 500 people. He stood on a mountaintop, and his last words to his disciples were recorded before he ascended into heaven. He said, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I am with you always until I return. Making disciples of all the nations sounds a lot like do not offend the Jews or the Greeks so that they may be saved. That brings us full circle to where we started in this passage. We are surrendering our freedoms for a much greater purpose. Now, in the spirit of stereotypes, and since I'm freely walking into this temporary pastoral position, I'm going to give us a good old-fashioned acronym to help us with the teaching today. It's SHARE. S-H-A-R-E. This is to help provide application for what we've been talking about in today's passage. S, surrender. Before we can even come to a conversation with an unbeliever, before we can do anything in our lives, we need to start with surrendering our pride, our hope, our plans, our schedule. Surrender everything to the Lord. We will never do this perfectly, but the more we surrender to him, the more we see his grace. And the more we see the, how much we've held on to ourselves for our own glory. Isaiah 55 draws this out beautifully. And it says, when you surrender your thoughts and your way of doing things, the Lord shows you that his grace is as wide as the distance from heaven is to earth. Our grace is so shallow. We pat ourselves on the back for forgiving someone one time. But the second time they offend us, well, we pat ourselves on the back because we just defended ourselves. Jesus tells us to forgive 77 times that person. And if you're counting after 25, you're probably missing his point. When we are walking in God's grace, then he gives us his heart. And that's where we're at with H. Once we surrender, we can have God's heart. How did this dinner opportunity in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 even come up with an unbeliever? This is someone outside of this person's network. They don't even know what kind of food they eat. It's because they have a heart for all people, not just the people that agree with them, not just the people that think the same things as them, not just the people that look the same as them. And that's God's heart. When we have God's heart for all people, we start to see one another as fellow image bearers 
who are just as desperate and as need as God's grace as we are every single day. An example of this is in Luke 19. Jesus is coming up to the city of Jerusalem. And he looks over the city and he weeps. He weeps because his fellow man does not have any peace. When you look at our city, do you see Jerusalem? Do you see people chasing and getting the job they want, the family they want, the authority they want, the fun they want, and still not experience peace? Can you relate to being in their position of chasing after something that leads just to emptiness? The Lord wants us to have compassion for all people, but the burden, the burden is fully his. And before we go and give ourselves a savior complex that the Lord is asking us to go and save all people and try to walk in his shoes, we come to A. We need to ask. Ask who, Lord? Who have you put in my circle of influence? Who have you given me an opportunity to speak openly and lovingly with? We should be asking ourselves this every single day. Now, with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, when we work with our athletes or our coaches, we use a visual presentation of what this looks like in discipleship. And you can do this yourself. You put your name in the middle of a piece of paper. And then around that, you connect your name to neighbors, friends, coworkers, people that the Lord has burdened your heart for, that you want to come, that you want to walk alongside and to know the Lord more. Put something like this on a piece of paper and just pray every single day. Lord, I don't know what you want me to do, but I have a heart for these people. And see what happens. Spoiler alert, he's going to answer some of those prayers. But before we can go rushing into those conversations, we're going to come to our and our share. And that's recognize. Just like Paul is asking us to recognize what are the meat sacrificed to idle conversations and assumptions that others are going to make about us. What, we need to recognize what biases and assumptions do we have about other people that we're going to sit across from. Put away your personal agenda when you have your opportunity to sit with someone else. And just come to learn more about this fellow image bearer of God. You will learn more about yourself and you will learn more about God if you just come to simply learn. And when they tell you about their background, when they tell you about their family history, when they tell you about the things they've done and who they've voted for and the things that they plan in the future or how they've spent their money, do not judge them. Ask why. Just ask why. Ask why to know more and more about them. Because when someone tells you their why, they believe something, they're giving you insight into who they see themselves as. We just need to come with the intent to know more and put our agenda to the side. Because no one is going to be interested in hearing the good news that God has given you, that gives you peace, love, and joy until they first experience God's grace through your honest intentions to get to know them more. That's share. Oh, jump the gun.
E, we're missing one. E, E is engage. Engage courageously and purposefully. If this is an opportunity that you've been praying about, well, then it's probably going to be something that you're wrestling with. And it's probably going to take some courage to actually step into that conversation. You might already have something on your calendar that you put on your calendar. The Lord didn't put that on your calendar. You've prayed for this opportunity. You know the Lord is putting this on your calendar. It's going to take some courage to rearrange your calendar. It's going to take some courage to go and be humble with a surrendered heart of the Lord, with a recognition of assumptions that are going to be made, and to just come to learn more about this other person. Our culture is so quick to put labels on people, to have a headline before knowing all the facts. Don't fall into that. Listen and come to know more. You might have the best gospel presentation. You might have an amazing witness. But our agenda should be just to get to know them better. Now that's share. We got all our letters in there. We're going to share our life with others and we're going to trust the Lord in the process. Now, <clears throat> I'm sure some of you, especially our teenagers in the room, are probably thinking, James, I got to be honest with you, it's a pretty dumb acronym. Doesn't even tell me what to share. That's the point. That's the point. We're just coming to engage in gospel conversations, and we're going to trust the Lord in the process. If we go back to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says he is with us always, even till the end of the age. That's the Holy Spirit working through us and in us. We show up just to be used by the Lord, and we wait on the Holy Spirit to tell us what to say and when to act. Luke 12, verses 11 through 12, spell this out beautifully. When you bring, now, when they bring you before the synagogues and the officials and the authorities, do not worry about what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. If we are to be obedient, and sharing our lives with others, then we can trust God to produce the fruit. I'm going to close with this story. In 1996, an organization called Promise Keepers, whose slogan is, Building Up Godly Men for a Better Tomorrow, hosted an event at Syracuse University where tens of thousands of men gathered together to be encouraged in their faith in Jesus Christ. This gathering at the university greatly upset a lady named Rosaria Butterfield, so much so that she wrote an op-ed in the paper denouncing the university for using their facilities in such a way. Rosario Butterfield was a soon-to-be tenured professor at the University of Syracuse. She was an out lesbian who taught women's studies, feminist studies, and queer theory. She was against anything supernatural because she saw it as unintelligent. And she was Vietnamese, she was most against promise keepers being on her campus because she saw it promoting, and I quote here, a strange mixture of superstition and patriarchy, 
where God the Father and the God of patriarchy came together to oppress people like me. In Rosaria's experience, she had only seen and known Christianity as a means of oppression. And she saw it as something that was holding back the freedoms of someone like herself. The article that she wrote generated lots of fan mail and also lots of hate mail. But there was one note that stood out among all that she received that was neither hate mail or fan mail. It was by a man named Ken Smith. Ken Smith was the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. He provided his contact information and said, if you would like to know more about Christianity, please reach out. Now, Rosaria was already planning on writing a book. This was the next chapter of her career as a tenured professor at the University of Syracuse. She was going to write a book about the religious right and the Bible through the lens of a feminist lesbian. And so she saw Ken Smith's invitation as an opportunity for free research. So she called Ken, and after speaking to him, she came to the conclusion that he is not someone that would easily be offended by talking to someone with different viewpoints and opinions of of his own. And he invited her to dinner with him and his wife. So she accepted that invitation. Now before she went, she told her LGBTQ community that she was going to this dinner. And she was met with oohs and ahs and curiosity. What are those evangelists really like? She was curious too. And there was four things that stood out that she said from that fateful dinner that she had with the Smith family. The first was Ken Smith's wife. She had a lot of assumptions and presuppositions about what the wife of a pastor of a church that taught the things of Christianity would be like. But she was surprised to find somebody who was really smart, quick-witted, and hospitable. She was also surprised by the prayer that Ken prayed before that meal. She said it was an honest, transparent prayer in which he even confessed a sin he had committed earlier that day that she had also committed. She was surprised that they were able to engage in controversial topics of politics and sexuality and hear her viewpoints that were different from theirs without getting offended, but just asking poignant questions. But what stood out to her the most from that engagement was that Ken made it a point to say, I want to continue to follow up with you and help you in any way that I can in this project. But he let her leave her house, his house that day without sharing the gospel with her and without inviting her to church. She said she left the Smith's home not feeling like a project to be worked on, but a person who was being loved. And she continued to walk alongside the Smiths as she continued to work on her book. And for the next two years, she said her life was filled with all types of turmoil. And the Smiths reflected God's grace every single step of the way. At the end of those two years, instead of publishing this book, she found herself, she found herself at that Presbyterian church, surrendering her life to Jesus Christ. She eventually walked away from her position at Syracuse. And the book that she is known for today is called The Secret, Conf- the Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. If we're to engage with others with an agenda of things to say, 
then we're not trusting the Lord and his ways and his perfect process. He may tell you to share your testimony. He may tell you to share the gospel. He may tell you to share something that seems foolish. He may tell you to just be patient and keep loving that person. God is in the heart transformation business, not us. And his ways are greater and more profound than the distance from heaven to earth. And so if we're to walk in his will, we're just to surrender ourselves and to be empty vessels who reflect his love and show his grace and walk in his patience. And then we're courageous to speak truth only when the Holy Spirit nudges us to. That's being fruitful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, may we be able to see all of those around us as fellow image bearers, as your children, as people that you wake up every single morning, not for their own, but so that you can come to know them more. Lord, may we not put our own agenda first, but always yours. May we trust you in all things, especially when we don't understand it, that we wouldn't turn and divert back to our old practices, but that we would be patient. And even in your silence, Lord, that we would just continue your path and trust your process. We love you, Father. You are a good, good Father, and we thank you. Amen.